Welcome to the Whitewater Podcast. Stay tuned at the end of the message for church resources and more information about Whitewater. For now, let's dive into this week's message together. Have you ever climbed a mountain, peak, or summit, or drove to a beautiful overlook? And you just see everything different. You can see where you were, but in a new and a different way. The power of perspective can often humble us and put life in context. Beautiful things, but also difficult things can do this as well. I remember when I was teaching high school and without warning, George, my husband, showed up and told me that my dad had experienced a severe stroke and that we needed to drive down to California immediately. I just was in shock. A substitute took over my class. I got in the car with my family and we left for Sacramento from the high school. The plans I had for lunch, appointments for my week, our vacation that was eventually canceled, all our plans changed as we drove south. The old plans just didn't matter. This moment in our family's life changed everything. Most of all, it changed my perspective, clarifying what really mattered most. Also talking about difficult situations, I've lost four babies to miscarriage and losing children has changed my perspective It really tugs my heart towards eternity more frequently than before those losses. And I want you to think for a moment, what are the beautiful and difficult moments or seasons in your life that have changed your perspective? And keep that moment or season in mind as we read a portion of James. We're in a teaching series through James, and chapter one is titled, How to Handle the Issues of Life. And that's definitely an area I can always use some help and wisdom, probably in a less jarring way than loss that I shared, hopefully in a more beautiful way, like looking from a viewpoint, it can change our perspective. The Bible is all about human life with God and how God has made this with God life possible and will bring it to pass. The name Emmanuel means God with us and is a title given to the one and only Redeemer, because it refers to God's everlasting intent for human life, namely that we should be in every aspect a dwelling place for God. And I think one of the ways we can handle the issues of life is to have an eternal perspective. When we allow God's presence to lift us up to God's perspective, we can bring God's kingdom down to earth with his presence. So let's take a look at James 1, 9 through 18. It reads, Brothers and sisters who are poor should find satisfaction in their high status. Those who are wealthy should find satisfaction in their low status because they will die off like wildflowers. The sun rises with its scorching heat and dries up the grass so that its flowers fall and its beauty is lost. Just like that, in the midst of their daily lives, the wealthy will waste away. Those who stand firm during testing are blessed. They are tried and true. They will receive the life God has promised to those who love him as their reward. And money is one of those issues of life James addresses. I don't think James is necessarily saying being poor or wealthy is bad, but they come with their own set of trials. He knows that his possessions and wealth end at the grave where he is no better than anyone else. In a way, death levels the playing field. 
And the more we have, the more we have to steward. I think James is saying the wealthy should remember that riches are temporary and not to put trust in things. They will fade away. The image of the fading flower stands out to me. I can see all the flowers and grass over the summer dried out. And I don't think James is saying things can't be enjoyed. Flowers are beautiful. Just know that they're temporary. They fade and they die. It seems silly to think flowers won't fade. The same should be true for earthly gains. It reminds me to hold the material things in my life loosely. And wealth can be great if used wisely. I think to both audience, wealthy or poor, the perspective is life is temporary. But that doesn't mean we just do what we want until we get to heaven. How we live our life on earth matters. We give an account of how we used our money, possessions, and influence. And then the question to ask is, do trials bring out the best in us? There is futility in putting our hopes and dreams in something that won't last, um, counting on the temporal rather than the eternal. I want to think about what are the eternal things that we can invest in? I think of relationships, kingdom movement, our character, especially when we hit the hard parts of life. Speaking of which, in verse 12, it says, Those who stand firm during testing are blessed. They are tried and true. They will receive the life God has promised for those who love him as their reward. You know, I think testing draws out blessing, tried and true, like James says, but I don't think many of us love testing, especially while we're in it. But looking back, we do have hindsight and can sometimes see the value and character developed in us. And while testing may not feel like abundant life at the time, it says they will receive the life God promised. And that full life is not just on earth. It's for eternity. Maybe you've heard the analogy of looking at life like an everlasting line. It's a really long line. And on that line is one dot. That dot on the long line is a lot like our earthly life. A question to ask ourselves is, Am I living like I'm just a dot or living like a line? Am I living for earthly temporary rewards or eternal heavenly rewards? And does earthly wealth drive me? If we treat earthly possessions differently, if we are living for the dot, we use our resources for temporary, short-sighted, and maybe selfish purposes when we are only living for the dot. We invest our resources for eternal purposes if we're living for the line. God says there are rewards we can look forward to in eternity when we live this way. And optimally, trials bring out the best in us. Or another way, testing pulls out that blessing in our lives. And I think we can learn to look at the world inside and out and upside down as Jesus consistently taught. Don't allow our, your imagination to be drawn into a snare. We want to see things as God sees them. There's that futility of putting our hopes and dreams in something that will not last. Again, counting on the temporal rather than the eternal. In contrast, James shows us those who persevere in faith, who remain steadfast under trial, will inherit everything. This understanding changes the perspective we have on trials. Instead of asking, when will this end? We ought to focus on, where is this taking me? Trials confront us with the question, where is true blessing to be found? You know, our life is temporary. You know, we were made for eternity. And really that question is, are you investing in the temporary or the eternal is what I think James is really showing us. 
And I think there's a lot to other stuff that James has to say about to handle other issues of life. So let's look at verse 13. It says, no one who is tested should say, God is tempting me. This is because God is not tempted by any form of evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Everyone is tempted by their own cravings. They are lured away and enticed by them. Once those cravings conceive, they give birth to sin. And when sin grows up, it gives birth to death. Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. These gifts come down from the Father, the creator of the heavenly lights, in whose character there is no change at all. He chose to give us birth by his true word. And here is the result. We are the first crop from the harvest of everything he created. If I were to rename this section, I might call it carnal cravings versus heavenly harvest. This section of James makes me reflect, am I craving things that lead to sin, evil, and death, or to goodness and eternal life? I've heard it said, temptation draws out the worst in you, and testing draws out the best in you. Satan wants us to get the worst out of us. We live in a broken world, and there, there are temptations. And as humans, we like to play the blame game. It's much easier to blame someone or something for our actions. I could say, God made, it, made me do it. Satan made me do it. He made me do it. And really, temptations only exist because of our natural selfish desires. Nothing would be a temptation if you didn't desire it. It's a temporary temptation. But in the moment, it seems eternal. However, it really is a temporary fix, not eternal. I really want a heart and hunger for the gifts of God. And when I do, good gifts get put in the right place. I think of my cravings for junk food versus healthy food. The pandemic made me eat that. <laughs> Sometimes junk food just sounds so much better in the moment. But the things you're feeding end up eating you. And someday it'll consume you. It's hard to learn to change your palate. And it takes time. In the long run, healthier food is good for my body and life. In a similar way, learning to crave the eternal parts of God's kingdom can take time and takes ownership and action. I want to learn to love the good stuff. I want to trade my cravings for short-term happiness for dreams of a better future. Our carnal cravings lead to death while the things of God create life. And human desires can be so low. Sometimes we don't realize how low they are. I think C.S. Lewis sums it up well. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I think when we're having a hard time in temptation, I think a good question to ask ourselves is, in a time of testing, am I exchanging an eternal blessing for a temporary temptation? And the decisions we make over and over builds our character. And this character isn't just for earth, it's for eternity. Are we investing in things that bring us life or death? And sometimes I think we just long for eternity, not in a morbid way, but longing for the goodness of God in its fullness. Because C.S. Lewis has such a good way of framing things, here's another quote from him that I think addresses that eternity. 
Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I think we were designed for eternity. I don't know if you've ever been in a church where you hear worship and just feel like heaven has been brought to earth. Uh, Cathedrals, in fact, were designed that way so as to give the impression that there were other older voices, hundreds of years of worship on earth joining in, not to mention the heavenly hosts themselves. In Revelation 7, it actually talks about a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and worshiping God. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life. I've heard it taught that when we worship, we join those worshiping in heaven. When I worship and live now in light of eternity, I somehow am in harmony with those that went before me, and heaven is touching earth. And worship is one of those things that helps change my perspective. It helps me contrast and trade temporary desires for eternal desires. I mentioned earlier that I um, have lost uh, babies to miscarriage. And when I worship Jesus, I feel that I'm worshiping with those souls I've lost for a time. But time is temporary, and worship not only connects us with those who have gone before us to eternal life with God, it also promises us that we will be reunited with those we have lost. It reminds me that because Jesus has overcome death, I will be reunited with my lost children someday. I think an eternal perspective helps us see with faith what cannot be seen now. And like James says, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. These gifts come down from the Father, the creator of the heavenly lights, in whose character there is no change at all. He chose us to give birth by his true word, and here is the result. We are like the first crop from the harvest of everything he created. As we go back into worship, let's reflect on the goodness of God, the gifts we have, how Jesus brings God's kingdom to earth, how we can learn to live the heavenly life in the present, and how we can trade fading flowers and carnal cravings for a heavenly harvest. It's my prayer that this message of James to the scattered church reorients our souls for an eternal perspective. Let's worship together. Thanks again for joining us this week. At Whitewater, we believe in creating an environment where you can belong before you believe. If you want to learn more about who we are and what we believe in, visit us at our website, whitewaterchurch.org. If you'd like to contribute to Whitewater financially, you can give online at whitewaterchurch.org give. Or if you want to get involved in blessing our communities or are interested in joining a home church, email us at info at whitewaterchurch.org. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.